What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Here's what's coming up today on Squawk Pod. The Fed moves again and says, yeah, there's more to come. This is like a Groundhog Day. Another jumbo hike in interest rates, the U.S. Central Bank's key and controversial weapon in the fight against inflation. The fear factor is what we're dealing with in the markets, what you saw yesterday. Fear factor, I miss that. People eat worms. And billionaire investor Sam Zell has a dark outlook. The likelihood is that we're going to have a recession. A special interview with the always outspoken real estate mogul on set today. Frankly, that's what happens when you flood the world with money. Plus, tweets, twits, trolls, and our emotional roller coaster around a certain social media platform. Am I in denial about whether I really do, in fact, like Twitter? Well, you're kind of addicted. Kind of a d- What? It's Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And that's right, this is the morning after. It is the day after the Federal Reserve's fourth straight hike in interest rates. The central bank raised its benchmark rate three quarters of a percentage point in its continuing bid to battle record high inflation. Good afternoon. My colleagues and I are strongly committed to bringing inflation back down to our 2% goal. What initially looked like a dovish statement, the expected 75 basis points, the Fed will take into account the impact higher rates have on the lagging economy. Well, this was followed by a press conference from Fed Chair Jay Powell that was more hawkish in tone. He made it clear that any sort of course change or pause to the pace of increase, well, that's not happening. It is very premature to be thinking about pausing. So people, when they hear lags, they think about, about a pause. It's very premature, in my view, to, to, to think about or be talking about pausing our rate hike. Not only is a pause premature, Powell emphasized that the Fed will continue increasing interest rates until it can find a win against stubborn inflation, get it to a target rate of 2%. The latest reading of consumer inflation was running at an 8.2% annual pace. We still have some ways to go, and incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. Then, it was that line, the ultimate level higher than previously expected. That caught attention. For two full years, the level of interest rates was 0% to help the economy weather the COVID-19 pandemic. The Federal Reserve started 2022 at zero, and by March planned to steadily increase at every meeting of its rate-setting committee until it reached a range of four and a half to four and three quarters percent. That was the terminal rate, the planned end, four and a half 
to four and three quarters. Yesterday's move raised the Fed funds rate by three quarters of a percent, 0.75, to a range of three and a quarter to four. That's the highest level in 15 years. And Chairman Powell's statement indicates there could be more, maybe considerably more, beyond that. I'll turn this back over to Joe, Becky, and Andrew, joined by CNBC senior economics correspondent Steve Leisman. Here's Andrew. This is like a Groundhog Day. Market thinks the world's going to be great. I mean, this is the equity markets. Somehow believe that you know, Jay Powell is not going to do what he says he's going to do. And then Jay Powell does what he says he's going to do. And everyone says, oh, my God, I'm surprised. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't get it. I, I see it this way, that, that what we talked about yesterday, how the one thing that the Fed doesn't want, they want the markets to help them do their job and cooperate in anything that they say they could cause a rally in the markets or how warped it is that oh, they're going to. But I don't. But it was up 300. Right. Now, in the old days, the Fed would be very careful. It would be sensitive about things that they say right. that could hurt the market. There was a Fed put. It was the now. So it's up 300. Goes, does he go up 300? It goes 800 point swing. And he goes, yes, I, 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 I did it. I don't I think, think, he, I don't think those are the numbers. He's, I think he's looking. I mean, Steve, correct me. I think he's looking at Pepsi with 20 percent margins in the quarter. I think he's looking at Chipotle with 26% margins in the quarter and saying, there's something wrong here. That's the problem. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. If, if you're sick and you need antibiotics, you want to knock it out quickly. So I, I, if you're going to a higher terminal rate, I'm not, or if you're going on a trip, you got a thousand miles to go and you're going 80 miles an hour, why slow down to 40? It just, it's, that's kind of weird. What I really think is still happening is they're leaving open the possibility of being data dependent by, by, by going down to 50 to see if there is a lag effect, but they don't want people to get ahead of themselves, so they, they pick a new terminal rate, which I don't have a lot of confidence that they know, really, you know, exactly what the terminal rate's going to be. They didn't know the trend. They, they totally missed, and they're behind the curve because of the transitory stuff, so how can they possibly know except... If you look at where inflation is and, where, and you make a forecast for where it's going to be, they could say we need to be above that. So maybe there is some method to the madness, but I, have very, I think that they're, you know, they're going to play it by ear, but they don't want us to really know they're playing it by ear. I think there's a couple of explanations for what's going on here. Um, one is this idea that you know, they wanted to acknowledge this business that's been out there, which is that there are lags to monetary policy that might have been a sop to the political uh, 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 goings on right now. You know those letters from from Elizabeth Warren, some other Democrats as well. But also there may be some members of the committee that in order to vote for this rate hike wanted to have that at least in there. Uh, and, and that was what that was the price for Powell to putting that in there to, to get a, a unified committee. So there could be something going on there. But you're right. The Fed does not know how far it has to go. What Powell said yesterday was a kind of, uh, uh, for sure, data dependence where, hey, if you look at the data since our September meeting, we need to go higher. That really moved the goalpost. I, I think, Joe, the one thing the market would want if it was to say, what's the least you could give me? And that is some sense of where you're going. Powell took that away from the market yesterday. It made it even harder to kind of forecast, you know, when is it going to be okay to go back into stocks and not get my, my head handed to me? Uh, Powell took that away, said, we, we really don't know. We think on balance, if we had to put our forecast together today, it would be higher than the 4.6% they had in the September contract. That makes it very difficult to figure out. They have not seen it in the data. And essentially, he was sort of, 
of also responding very forcefully to guys like Jeremy Siegel who have said, you're not looking at the data, you're not aware of these things. Powell said, we're aware of these things. We just don't see a reason to stop. Steve, I heard somebody describe it as, look, yesterday, Jay Powell ripped the rug out from under the markets. I, I think this was a case of this was just tough love. Markets were seeing what they wanted to see ahead of time, and he had to drop a dose of reality back on them. Well, that's to me the question, which is we keep talking about the employment picture and how Powell's looking at that yeah. and looking at wage gains and the like. Right. But it's, it appears every time we have you know, a quarterly earnings report, with the exception of some of these big tech and advertising guys, that they're not only able to pass it on, no, no, they're able to pass it on and then so some. So where, where's, where's Barry Sternlicht and Jeremy Siegel? And all the, they, they, they think well, the world's that we've already driven off a cliff. How about where Mike Wilson is from Morgan Stanley? He got, he got bullish about two and a half weeks ago. He was right No recession now? No, no, no. This was technical only, just looking oh. at some of the support levels on things. But he thinks that things are going to be harder from here and that he's still back into his bearish mode on some of these things because... He says it's gotten a lot tougher. If you're listening to any of these conference calls from the companies for earnings, CEOs, CFOs are much more reluctant to kind of put real numbers around things because there's just oh, a lot of Oh, but that's because they're very worried, but not yeah, they're, because they're current business. I mean, I no, think that's, we, that's true, I think but almost, uh, but it's almost ironically, so every conversation we've had with somebody has been, you know what, my business is actually doing spectacularly. But I'm scared of my mind that but it's going to be a problem later. But once they start preparing for that and you see layoffs, like you're starting to see at a lot of companies, and Look, you see tightenings of the belts, and you see advertising I've been arguing that slashed, we're going to, I've argued that we're going to see prophecy. an unemployment problem, or not a problem, but we're going to see more unemployment, I think, probably come the spring. But, problem if it's your job. But the truth is, I if you can know. pass I, I these even, on right yeah, now, but I don't think incredible. that's not going to last forever. I, I'm all, and, and we're, I don't need to worry about the grocery bills. I don't. But I'm, I see them, and I'm in shock at times. Like, I do, do it myself. $6, right. $7, bacon, $11. I'm doing I'm like, who? You were channeling every okay. George Bush today from looking into your soul to making <laughs> Not sure only do I not have counter. to go to a checkout person, okay. but they got these so things that, that, that you put, can go. that put you in the everything's five, camp of, of, of no, the, I just the, think these, corpora these I just greedy think, corporations are ripping you off and, no. and creating no, that's not inflation? What I'm, saying. I'm saying sooner or later there's a point where, where consumers... You know, it's great for Pepsi until it isn't. And then they got to make, you know, give you four chips instead of six chips in the bag and say, oh, yeah, it's the same price. Or offer discounts, which is where you get with some of the retailers. I just think it's good until it isn't. And, and the Fed, they can keep raising until they can't. And, and it could come on us quickly. And the fear factor is what we're dealing with in the markets, what you saw yesterday. Fear factor. I missed that. Yeah. Is that the name of it? It was NBC. Yeah. Fear factor. Let's see. People eat worms. Twitter employees are expecting a 50% workforce reduction from Elon Musk. That would amount to about 3,700 employees being cut. That's according to a Bloomberg report that said Musk is expected to require employees who were once authorized to work remotely to report to Twitter offices. Of course, he's done that with all of his companies, too. He is definitely a believer of uh, you have to be in the workplace if you're going to be working. Separately, Elon Musk met with the heads of some major civil rights groups via Zoom on Tuesday. The leaders pressured Musk not to allow many users who had been banned from the platform to return, and they urged Musk to give Twitter staff the tools necessary to combat election-related misinformation. Attendees said Jonathan Greenblatt of the Anti-Defamation League helped organize that call and took part in the meeting. Here's what Jonathan told us this morning after Musk finalized the Twitter on the morning after Musk actually finalized the Twitter acquisition. Wild conspiracy theories and platforms awash with information are problematic for society. Look, I don't think social media platforms should be the playthings of billionaires to begin with. 
but Elon has the right to buy Twitter. I'm a capitalist and I believe he can do this. I mean, there's no stopping that, but what there is stopping is threats and slander on the platform. And then there was last night's Twitter tiff between Elon Musk and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She tweeted criticizing, quote, a billionaire earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that free speech is actually an $8 a month subscription plan. Musk responded, your feedback is appreciated. Now pay $8. He later tweeted a screenshot of a sweatshirt from AOC's merchandising line with the price of $58 circled. Congresswoman defended the cost of the sweatshirt and called Musk a union buster and with an ego problem. She also said Twitter mentions and notifications conveniently aren't working, and she was informed by a text that she had gotten under a certain billionaire's skin. So uh, a little bit of back and forth, a lot of back and forth between Elon and all sorts of people yesterday over eight, this sort of $8 fee. He was comparing it to, um, you know, $8 a day that some people are spending on a Frappuccino over at Starbucks. And right. he was showing $8 for, you know, 30 days of, you know, blue check tweeting. It's going to be fascinating to see whether people are willing to pay or not. It will. It's, it's, it's been nice to have it for free, I guess. Yes. Maybe we got, got used to that. Will I, I mean, am I in denial about whether I really do, in fact, like Twitter? Yes. Oh, yes, I that's so. 100%. I'm in denial. Well, you're kind of addicted. I'm kind of a what? Addicted. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Just be careful. you got to enunciate here. What you hear. <laughs> you know, we all up. hear what we want to hear. <laughs> I, I certainly have been, you know, people have said that to me many, many times. You are addicted. Yeah, I'm addicted. With terror. I'm addicted. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, billionaire investor Sam Zell on the state of the economy, the Fed, and the recession that he sees coming. The U.S. as the reserve currency is in serious danger. If that happened, if we lost our reserve currency status, that would be a catastrophe on our standard of living. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. People heard that. that Good morning on, on Twitter. They say, that's what I heard. Uh, good morning and welcome back to Squawk, Box, to Squawk Box Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square, checking the futures. The Federal Reserve's latest interest rate hike and hints of more spooked the markets. But Fed Chairman Jay Powell doubled down. He said the central bank would not take their foot off the gas. I don't think we've over-tightened. I think there's very difficult to make a case that, that our current level is 
is too tight given that inflation still runs well above the federal funds rate. We'll discuss it again in December. But there's no, I, I don't have any sense that we've over-tightened or moved too fast. I think, I think it's been good and a successful program we, 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 uh, that we've gotten this far this fast. Remember though that, that uh, we, we still think there's a need for ongoing rate increases and um, uh, we have some ground left to cover here and, and cover it we will. Not all investors are happy with the Fed's aggressive playbook. We heard today from Sam Zell, who has a stark warning that continuing to raise rates, he thinks, could send the U.S. economy into a recession. Sam Zell is one to listen to. He started Equity Group Investments over 50 years ago, investing in industries like energy, healthcare, and real estate, which made him a billionaire. Let's get back to Becky. Chairman, a longtime friend of the show, and it's been a while since we've seen you in studio. Good to see you. Good to see you. We have heard um, from a number of business leaders who have been very concerned about the Fed's uh, rate hikes, the level we're getting to, saying that it's already having a big impact on business and potentially putting us in a recession if we're not already in one. What's your take on this? Because I know as recently as July, you were still thinking the Fed had some room to run. Yeah, I, uh, I think the Fed is doing all the right things now, uh, reflective of the fact that the Fed didn't do all the right things earlier this year. Uh, the concept of transitory inflation uh, is pretty awful, uh, and I've never heard that phrase before, and I'm sure they'll never use it again. Uh, but, you know, you know we, we overflooded the society with capital. We debased, a, a, you know, a, a fiat currency. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, what was it, $8 trillion that we did in three years? I mean, you used to do, you know, stuff in Congress was a billion dollars, and that was a big deal. A trillion dollars? And how could you not expect that to create inflation? And, and, and not only a minor inflation, but, you know, 10% inflation is a serious scenario. And I'm not even sure that that's really reflective of how much inflation has really existed. So if the Fed's doing the right thing right now, you would encourage them to keep this up? What Jay Powell said yesterday was right, and that means what in terms of the pain that the economy is going to feel? Well, I think that uh, the likelihood is that we're going to have a recession. Um, frankly, that's what happens when you flood the, you flood the world with money uh, and everything is free. Uh, you lead to excess and excess ultimately leads to a recession. Can, can the Fed do it by themselves by trying to do this? Because other central banks, not the Bank of England, which just did 75 basis points in the last few minutes, but other central banks like the Bank of, uh, the European Central Bank have kind of indicated that they're going to pivot a little bit because of how bad the recession there is anticipated. And I just wonder the resolve that you're going to have in the Federal Reserve and other places if the global recession really starts to, to pinch. Well, I, I don't think that there's ever been much of a case for unified action worldwide. Uh, and, and the attempts to do so have not been very successful. Uh, we have a particular situation here. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, the U.S. Was, was far and away the leader in relaxing covenants and uh, making money free. And that means that on the other side of that same coin, uh, I think the Fed has to be very resilient uh, to bring this inflation back to normal.
I guess I wonder what you're doing with your investments at this point. If, if, if that's the case, then stock market probably has further to fall. Um, interest rates maybe move higher from here. What do you do as a result? Uh, I think interest rates are going to move higher from here. Um, I think that uh, you know a lot of the discussion about interest rates uh, have talked in terms of absolutes, when in fact I think relatives are more important than absolutes. So, you know, taking the cost of capital from two to zero, uh, in my opinion, accomplished very little. Taking interest rates from zero to two accomplished very little. And it's only now that we're in the threes and fours and on our way to the fives, uh, you know, that we're seeing some impact. But it's still very early and I wouldn't get uh, I, I don't think there's any basis for being uh, overly optimistic uh, that this will be done very quickly or without pain. I mean, if you go back to end of World War II to today, we've had a series of recessions. Um, we've never had a recession without a liquidity crisis. And I would, if I were guessing, I would think that a liquidity crisis is the next item on the agenda. Are you hoarding cash then? Well, I, I guess I've been hoarding cash for some time. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and at first I said, gee, you know, holding a lot of cash in an inflationary environment, maybe not so smooth. But the more I looked at the situation, the more I was convinced that, you know, liquidity is value. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's definitely a liquidity issue that's arising. I mean, you know, at Equity Residential, uh, you know, we just finished uh, redoing our revolver. Now we're a you know an A minus company and a, a behemoth, a forty billion dollar company, and very low leverage. Uh, and getting that revolver done was a challenge. Uh, it was hard. Uh, As an A minus company. I'm sorry. As an A minus company too. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, this is you know, it's just just a function of people are concerned about making commitments. I would be too. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody who committed to the uh, uh, Twitter takeout uh, is going is to get taken out. Uh, and, and there's been a number of other deals where, you know, banks made commitments uh, not so long ago, and those commitments aren't, uh, aren't viable. I mean, you're saying this pretty calmly, but when I hear it from you, who understands markets so well. Jamie Dimon said something similar. Uh, Ray Dalio has said similar things. Paul Tudor Jones has said similar things. The people who understand these markets the best and understand these cycles the best are all speaking with one voice, basically, at this point. Uh, everything we just saw in the month of, of October with the Dow up 14%, best month that it's had since like 1979 or something. I mean, that spells like you may think that this is just the calm before the real storm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I think all of this is just terribly predictable. I mean, you just can't flood the system with, you know, the kind of liquidity that they have flooded it with and not have any consequences. And I think what I'm just describing are kind of normal consequences of, of an excess on the part of the Fed. Uh, they, they, they were excess in terms of lowering rates. There are excess in terms of buying debt, you know, 80 billion a month. Uh, now they're going to reverse that. 
market isn't used to that, and it's going to be painful. It's tough to go through a financial crisis and then a pandemic all within 2008, what, 10, 12, 15 years. And, Although and maybe, so, maybe they're connected. Well, yeah, but it, yeah, maybe. But, but it was all, so a lot of what the Fed did, they had to do. Yeah. So it's not that we're saying it was wrong, but I there think, are there are consequences. Yeah, but I think the biggest risk is the Fed not doing it. Uh, you know, the biggest risk is the Fed. Not getting tough here, you mean. Right. And the biggest risk is, if, is the Fed, you know, uh, coming up with some rationalization, which we'll call it something else other than transitory. Would, uh, and uh, that's exactly the wrong thing the Fed should do. Would you concede as a real estate guy that the terminal rate where we finally arrive for the next 10 years is going to be lower than what we were used to in the, the 80s and 90s? Is it just, or, or do we really go back to 8% yields on, on uh, treasuries? Um, I, I think it's too early to make that kind of a judgment. Uh, for sure, we're not. I, I don't see any scenario where we're going back to zero or one or one and right. a half. But we could go to eight on the ten-year someday, fifteen years from now. Certainly possible. That's amazing. Certainly possible. Well, I mean, do, do you? Um, my only problem is it, it being so wrong in the transitory side of things. I'm just. I don't know why we suddenly think, wow, they're going to be exactly right about what the terminal rate is now. You just figure it's got to go higher. We'll decide when we get there. We'll know when we're there. And, and you, you don't think the Fed can pick a number and say that's where it's going to be right now, do you? I can't imagine. I mean, there's just just, just way too many variables. Uh, and at the you know, and, and the you know, the Fed's job. I'm, I'm in no way or shape or form, you know. Uh, calling the Fed's job easier. Uh, it's a very, very difficult job. Can we help them with supply side things? Can we, is there anything we could do to, to, instead of just killing the economy to, to well, hurt I mean, can we? How do we get the supply of labor up? How do we get the well, supply of goods up? How do we get... All, all of that comes down to discipline. In other words, we've been, I mean, come on, we've been, we've been screwing around with a 0%, 1%. I mean, those, that's not discipline. Uh, you know, uh, uh, James, uh, whatever his name is, who writes that credit thing. Uh, you know, James Grant, yeah. You know, he, he, caught, he quoted something last year that was really incredible. He talked about the fact that basketball was saved from extinction by the shot clock. One game between, uh, in, between Minneapolis and uh, Syracuse ended up 17 to 16. And the next day, Red Auerbach, who was the owner of the, uh, the, the Syracuse Nationals, put in a shot clock. And then eventually it went all over the, all over camp because there was no sense of urgency. Well, in the same manner, when interest rates are zero or 1%, there's no sense of urgency. There's no, there's no price for, for procrastination. They're gonna add a shot clock into the baseball. Not for, base, not for the shot, but for, for, for the pitch. Um, I have a question for you about valuations in terms of what you're just seeing. You deal oftentimes with private companies that are less liquid than what can be sold you know, at, at any minute. And I think there's a real question in the marketplace right now um, about whether private equity firms, venture capital firms are actually properly marking the valuations of their investments and at the same time whether it actually matters. Wow. Uh, the, the second part of your question is for sure it matters a lot. Uh, you know, those valuations are, you know, very much connected right. to our whole society. I mean, 
Uh, if so I'm with the, you. There are people, who, by the way, who say yeah. that it, yeah. it doesn't matter until you sell, so maybe yeah. it's irrelevant. Oh, but for those who have now started true. marking the market effectively. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, remember that the, the, the giant event of the Great Recession was we didn't mark to market. Right. Uh, I think it was a terrible mistake. Uh, I even called, I called Obama at the time and ended up talking to Goldsby and saying to him, you've got to mark to market. If you don't mark to market, uh, you're just going to keep this, this scenario right. going. I remember, by the way, similarly having a conversation, though, with Steve Schwartzman at the time. I actually wrote a column about it where he actually believed that the accounting system of marking to market actually created a lot of the problems that we saw in 2008. So I, anyway, that's one of the reasons I asked you the question. But, but do you think that the marks today are accurate? Because if they're not, there's even larger problems in the system. I think the marks today are probably uh, overstated to some extent. But is that 10%, 20%? I mean, hard, some... to, hard to tell. Uh, I mean, we, we, have, we have variables that you know, we've never had before. I think the U.S. is the, is the reserve currency, is in, is in serious danger. Uh, if that happened, if we lost our reserve currency status, uh, right. that would be a catastrophe in our standard of living. That we're, we're Invariably, people will ask, who, who do you think we're going to lose the reserve currency status to? Meaning, what is the other currency that you think is going to emerge as this reserve currency where everybody's going to want to be? Well, but maybe, maybe what I'm saying is, at this time, a reserve currency loss leaves us with no definitive currency. I mean, we very blithely moved from the British sovereign being the, the, the reserve currency to the American dollar. Uh, today we have the Chinese, uh, you know, chomping at the bit. Uh, we have the euro. Uh, we have a lot of different variables, but I think they've all been, uh, you know, significantly impaired by the laxity of the past 10 years. Sam, you were very early in figuring out oil prices were going to be the place to be and getting into some of these oil company plays. How, how are you feeling about that these days? I mean, those investments today are extraordinarily volatile. Uh, and I think that volatility uh, dramatically decreases their value as a core investment. Uh, I mean, if you talk about core investments, you talk about stability. And stability is everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's desire. And uh, we're, in, we're in an environment right now where uh, uh, all commodities are subject to significant variations. And I think that makes it for an unstable environment. And, can, you know, and if, if you have an unstable environment, it's hard to make long-term commitments. Do you, you ever hear the expression, please, God, let me... Let there be another real estate boom because I, I, I didn't sell the, the, during the last one. Yeah. Is there going to be another anything boom for, for five years, ten years? Um, it's possible. It's How possible. long? But, I don't uh, know. I mean, but we got some, we, we have some, we got to do some time in your view, five years, do you think? Um, I'd be hesitant to make that kind of a commitment. I mean, so much is dependent on what happens politically. Uh, you know, we're, we, we've you know, gotten ourselves in a corner politically uh, that is, you know, I've been around for a long time. I've never seen anything quite like this and with such venom. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's materially impacting uh, our ability to perform. Uh, I think, you know, the United States today is uh, 
mm -hmm. has a dearth of leadership uh, like it's never had in the, in certainly in my, in my experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, and you could blame it on social media. I, I think social media is a terrible, terrible idea uh, that, is, you know, that we're just seeing the excesses of today. And uh, we're going to have to deal with that. Hey, Sam, um, it has been wonderful having you on set. Next time you're here, would you stay for an hour or two? Because sure. we never get enough time. The deal. Okay. Thanks, Thank Sam. You. Sam Zell. We'll see you soon. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the very best of our show, smart analysis, great interviews, right in your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter. We're at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.